Look at the board, and uh, I want to start with this, this great quote that I read in Ray Ortland's book, Wisdom That Works. He said, life is a journey, and at the end of it is not just a place, but a condition. In fact, we are becoming the end of our journey, even now, wise or foolish, and every step takes us closer there. That's a great way to summarize what we've said so far about wisdom. We mentioned last week that wisdom is not simply a decision that we make when we have a decision. Wisdom is rather a current that we get in, and the current picks up speed over time. You heard Jordan say it even better just a moment ago. I always thought she said wisdom was something I ask for when I need uh, to make a decision, but what I'm learning is that wisdom is a current and when you get in the right current over time, the decision virtually makes itself. Because by the time you have a decision to make, you've already eliminated uh, certain kinds of people from your life. You've probably changed your diet in terms of what you listen to and what you read and what you process. So that by the time you go to make a decision, it seems to you self-evident if you were wise. What you must not do is wait until the moment when you have to make a heavy decision and then start asking for wisdom. Wisdom, we said, comes earlier on. It starts in currents. Now, uh, what this means is that there is a connection between what we do and what we get in life. Uh, one more time. There's a connection between what we do and what we get as a consequence. Because we are mortals trapped in time, we cannot always see where our actions will lead. You would have to be at 30,000 feet in order to see the way all of life just sort of divides. But you can't do that because you're trapped in time. You're in the moment that you're in and you're trying to do the best that you can. And so wisdom is listening to people that have been further ahead than you are coming back to tell you where your decisions will lead. And then you'll have to trust them. You can't pretend to be smart enough to know this on your own. Again, you're immortal. You are not immortal. You're not eternal. You're not overall things. So you have to live in the moment you're in Ask God to keep you in the right current and then listen to people that have been down the river longer and say, where is this likely to lead? We also stressed the importance of making wise decisions, choosing really good company, creating really good firewalls or boundaries around us so we don't get pulled out of the right current. Now, some of you, if you hear this, are, are not encouraged. Some of you are. You're like, boy, thanks for the reminder. I'm all over that. And others of you are you're thinking, dude, that was 10 years ago, man. I made some decisions. And those you're right. Decisions have hardened into fate. And I don't really need to have somebody stand up there and say, see, you screwed up. <laughs> you know, my marriage is already bad. My kids are already, my kids are Lions fans. They've already gone off the deep end, you know. I don't like my job. I don't have any money. My mind is rated X. Everything I touch goes south. I don't need to be told that I'm a failure. I'm afraid of that. Hold on. 
the rest of the message I'm going to talk to you and then all the other people can just listen in what you must not do at this point in time is try to predict where you're gonna go based on how you're feeling about your life today all decisions have consequences good ones and bad ones so the moment you start making good decisions you will get better consequences and you can do that at any stage along the river okay are you with me so far because what I did then I started reading through Proverbs and of course people that when scholars read Proverbs they see things only scholars understand so they'll say that there are different kinds of Proverbs there are oppositional or antithetical or parallel Proverbs whatever and that helps give me the right label but it doesn't help me to know what to do with the Proverbs so what I noticed was that if you put most not all of the Proverbs into a big basket and you shake them together and then they start falling out they typically fall out in four categories these four categories are like stages along the river and this is important for me because as I'm reading a proverb I I'm learning I have to place it in the right stage in order to know what I'm supposed to do with it if I just read one that talks about the destiny of anything then I'm gonna sit there just paralyzed by fear it's better for me to say where what category does this proverb fit in and so what do I do as a result the first stage in Proverbs I, there are better words and if you have a better way just ignore what I'm gonna say but there the first stage in Proverbs is usually a voice a voice in Proverbs is an impulse that is so deep and so primal that we mistake it for human nature it's a bias it's an instinct it's a way of seeing the world it's a prejudice that we have and what's important is that in Proverbs you never come up with these on your own you're never doing just what you want not in Proverbs maybe in Romans it's your human nature but in Proverbs you're always responding to a voice that is speaking you're listening to someone even when you say I just do anything I want no you listen to some voice and you follow that voice and then you think you do what you want so everything begins with a voice in Proverbs it's a deep-seated impulse as I say and when I read verses like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discernment I know that that's a voice kind of proverb it says Steve pay attention guard your heart watch what you're doing in the smallest of ways because the tiniest the tiniest dispositions and the postures that you make in life will establish for you a pattern of behavior so in the at or in the voice part what I hear is diligence focus attention to details the second stage is an action in Proverbs an action is a choice it's a habit it's a pattern of behavior that is observable over time and it is leads to either good consequences or bad consequences so whenever I see an action proverb about fools gushing folly and a person who won't listen before he speaks that's an action it says Steve learn the discipline of listening 
and postponing what you're going to say. Okay? So the watchword here is discipline, practice, restraint, it's boundaries, it's routines. I'm learning how to act or live or think in a different way. Now, your tendency is to say, when I read these Proverbs, if I just start acting that way, then I don't feel genuine. I just need to do what is in my heart. So I need to be, yeah, well, just think how dead you're going to be being genuine, okay? It's better to back up and say, this is a word from someone who has been down the river before me, and he's telling me, Everybody who lives and talks and acts like this ends up going that way. So it's better for me to learn new disciplines and patterns while I can because I'm trusting the voice of someone further ahead. Still with me? The third stage is the stage of character. So it starts out with a voice. It flows into an action from the action the waters start to get different. On one side, they're picking up speed, but they're not overwhelming. And on the other side, you're beginning to feel the rapids and the torrent, and you're like you're out of control. Character in a movie or in a novel is a person. It's not a body of work. Character is anytime you watch someone over a period of time, and you can peer into their soul, and predict with a fair level of accuracy what they are likely to do in the future because of what they've done in the past. When you cut them, it's what they bleed. When something happens and they don't have time to react the way that they should react, character is what naturally comes out of them in the situation, okay? And it is right here, as I read Proverbs, at the stage of character, that the river divides. It starts to move in two different directions. It's called a distributary. The river, one river splits and becomes two independent rivers, each one leading to their own destiny. And that's the fourth. That's the fourth one. In Proverbs, there's destinies of life or death. There is righteousness or wickedness. There's prosperity. There is ruin. There is calm and tranquility. There is drama and turmoil and chaos. Those are not only internal dispositions. Those are actually outcomes that have happened over time. So when I read, for instance, in Proverbs 14.1, that a wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, a fool tears them down, that's not telling me what to do. That's just telling me a character and a destiny. Do you hear it? That's contrasting a wise woman with a foolish woman, and it's contrasting a house that is being built up with a house that is being torn down. If I, want, if I want to know what to do about building my house, then I have to find other proverbs that speak about marriage and family and building houses that are more tangible, practical, things that I can do further, if you will, up the river rather than down it. Are you still with me? Yes? Okay. 
So if you found yourself saying, well, wait a minute, that was 10 miles ago and I'm just too far, so much of my life is gone, the thing that you need to remember first, I hope you will remember, and if I could encourage you one-on-one, if I still can after church, stick around and I'll do it for as long as I can. What I'm learning in Proverbs and over time is that character gets here faster than we think, but destiny gets here later than we think. So if you're in college right now, your tendency is to say, yeah, I'll worry about character when I graduate, but the truth is you already have one. Now, maybe not in all areas, but you already have developed patterns that are predictable enough your friends and other people can predict with some accuracy. So, so, so you've already got a character, but because destiny gets here later, it's not as early, there is still time to do something about it. There's a marvelous proverb. It occurs at least twice. One of those is in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. And it says, the prudent person sees danger and takes refuge. But the fool keeps moving on and suffers the consequences. That's, that's that fork in the road, okay? Both people come to that fork in the road where they start to say, wait a second, what I'm doing right now is starting to show its true colors. Do I like what I'm getting? And a prudent person is always measuring that and you're always saying, if there's danger ahead, then let me take refuge. Let me find other patterns, other people to listen to. Let me learn other skills that I need right now. And if you're a fool, you're just saying, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody, and you're just minimizing it, and you're just plowing on. So, one more time, the fool in Proverbs is not one who doesn't make bad decisions. It's one who never connects the bad decision with the consequence where it is going. That's the fool. That's the fool. So whenever you make a bad decision, and you will, I do all the time, it's important that we catch ourselves and get ourselves back in the right current so that it leads to the right character and destiny. So all of this comes down to those voices. Those voices that occur to us way up river. And all of it comes down to how well we listen. And in Proverbs, there are only two people talking all of the time. One of those is called Lady Wisdom, and the other one is called Lady Folly. One more time, wisdom and folly in Proverbs are not statements, they're not propositions, they're not bodies of knowledge, they're people. And foolishness and wisdom is which one you trust. So, Lady Wisdom is a faithful mother. She wants you to prosper. She wants to build you, develop you. You are her agenda. Lady Folly is an unfaithful spouse. 
She only attaches herself to you and pretends to like you or be interested in you because you have something she wants. But she is her own agenda, not you. When you're with her, you'll feel really great, but immediately afterwards, you'll feel like you just ruined things. So for a good time, you call Lady Folly. But for a good life, you call Lady Wisdom. Those two voices are always talking. Lady Wisdom leads to riches. Proverbs says, she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant and all of her paths are peace. She's a tree of life. To those who embrace her, those who take hold of her will be blessed. But Lady Folly is another matter. She is loud and undisciplined and without knowledge. She's an adulteress. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall and sharp as a two-edged sword. She gives no thought to her way of life. Her paths are crooked and she knows it not. One more time. Early in the current, there are two voices always talking. You are never doing just what you think you want to do. You are always listening to one of those two voices. Both of them are inside of you, so they seem like they're your voice. But in Proverbs, they're always someone else's voice, and the decision you have to make every day is which voice that you will listen to. So, how do we listen to wisdom? Read from Proverbs a few. The wise listen and add to their learning. Whoever listens will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. So listen, my son, and the years of your life will be many. Listen to me. And do not turn aside. Pay attention to what I say. I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips and speak what is right. But Lady Folly comes along later on and tells us not to listen. Lady Wisdom comes back and says, to answer before listening, that is folly. The false witness will be cut off, but the one who listens will be allowed to speak. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son. The answer to my prayers. So I'm reading in uh, this passage that Bud just read to us a few moments ago. And I was not fully prepared for what I would find. What I learned, you guys, is that in Proverbs, I never have to invite um, wisdom to speak to me because wisdom has already been speaking to me all along. One more time. If I lack wisdom in my life, Proverbs chapter 1, 26 says, wisdom has always been speaking to me, but I didn't listen. So I made her mad. And when I made her mad, she stopped speaking. Let me translate that. She says, if you would have listened to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you. But you did not listen to my advice and rebuke. And so in calamity and distress, 
happens in your life, I will turn aside. I will not advise you. Boy, I thought to myself, you know those times when I have decisions to make, if it feels like I don't have the right amount of wisdom and I can't, God, what am I going to do? And I'm getting really tense. It's probably an indicator that I made her mad. And she stopped talking. I never have to invite her in the room. She's already in the room. I just have to learn to listen to the right voice. But because this world is filled with so much information and so much knowledge and so many opinions and all this advice floating around, I have sometimes walked right by wisdom and not paid attention. So this has got me wondering where was wisdom talking Where did I miss her? I didn't even know it. If I would have been listening to her all of these years, then I would have come to this point and I would have said, well, it's pretty self-evident what I'm supposed to do, but if it's not. So what did I miss, God? And wisdom in Proverbs generally comes from two sources, and sometimes I like the package, and sometimes I don't. And so when James, for instance, says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, it doesn't mean he drops it out of the sky. It means he sends it through people. But if you sometimes don't like the way it appears, then you will turn away. One of those ways is he will send us counselors, and the other way is he'll send us critics. Now, if you're like me, You might seek counselors, but you reject your critics. Or, if you're like other people, everything you do is wrong. Your whole life someone's been just picking on you. And so you've got this latent mother or father or whoever it was in your background. And so everything people say is for you criticism. So you're a people pleaser and you got to always bounce off or ricochet off somebody's opinion or advice and I got to do that now and you're running a thousand different directions but what I've noticed is that very few of us are good at both counsel and criticism look at criticism or rather counsel Proverbs says the way of a fool seems right to them But the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Listen to advice and discipline, and at the end of your life, you'll be wise for the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. Some of you know that. But a person of understanding or wisdom is able to draw them out. I am surprised how often when we... Um, have decisions to make, we do not sometimes seek counsel. Rather than listening to our counselors, we, uh, we, we listen to ourselves, you guys, even while our counselors are talking. And I mean, I'll tell you how we do it. The moment our counselor starts talking, we think to ourselves, if that interests me, it is interesting And if I'm not interested in what that counselor is saying, it's boring. Stop. I'm boring. Part of being wise is learning to listen 
to what is being said even if you don't think it's valuable. Your professors will thank me later for saying that. <laughs> You'll be surprised how much you need the irrelevant later on if you will listen to it when it is being said. Sometimes I will seek advice from people whose opinions I pretty much know what they're going to be. And so I don't need advice. I'm looking for affirmation. Look, if you want affirmation, call your mother. If you want advice, you call a counselor. I sometimes think that advice comes to me only when I'm asking, only in response to the question I'm asking. No, no. Advice, wisdom is always speaking, Steve. Always. After the 8.30 service, it talked again. <laughs> you call them comments. It was wisdom. Sometimes people will give me advice and then I won't follow it. All I'm saying is I have lots of ways of rejecting counsel even while I ask for it. But see, I think in our culture right now, you guys, we are so inundated with advice and opinions and statuses on Facebook and social media rants that we become kind of hardened to the discipline of seeking advice. You think if I want advice, it's out. No, that's not advice, that's opinions. Opinions are what you get when you drain wisdom of its empathy. Advice is what you get from someone who doesn't have any skin in the game. You told me your problem, I gave you advice. If it works, I was right. If it doesn't, well, I told you what to do. That's not count. A counselor knows you. They want you to succeed. Seek people who are willing to invest in you and listen to what they say even when they're not answering your questions. Okay, Steve, we get it. Move on. The second one is a critic. Now, the reason criticism is so hard, I've prayed about this, I, 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 I did. I said, Lord, I will be, I, I'm, I'm being nice right now. I can't even hardly look when I say it, but I think the reason that, that criticism is so hard for us is because this is an over-affirmed and fragile culture. I mean, I think we have been told how good we are so much that when we're not good, we think that is the errant report. And so our self-esteem is so fragile that when criticism comes along, the only thing we know to do is to defend ourselves against it. If we will listen to our critics. They will say things that no one else will say. Boy, will they ever. And sometimes they don't care if you succeed or not. But they're not wrong. 
Pay attention. If a person tells you halfway up the river that the stuff you're doing makes you an idiot and will send you over the falls, he could be nicer about it, but you're still going over the falls. So this isn't about somebody liking you or agreeing with you or being politically correct. This is about mining out of the criticism what God has possibly put into it. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you, says Proverbs. But since you ignored my advice and would not listen to my rebuke, you will eat the fruit of your ways. One of the Proverbs says, like a gold bracelet is the rebuke of a wise judge to the listening ear. So the question is, how do I find the gold in all of the criticism? I've had enough time in my life right now to um, get both counsel and criticism. I, I habitually ask for one. I think I'm doing okay with that. Although I could probably broaden my bandwidth. You know, I could probably seek out people I know are going to say minority report type things because I don't have enough diversity in my counsel. But I do, like some of you, I seek counsel and I really do listen to it and try to weave it in. But I'm not that good at criticism. And, and so I've had to, over the years, learn how to handle both of these voices. And the, what I want to do in the next couple minutes is just tell you again what works for me. First, I think it's important that when we hear counsel or we hear criticism, that we listen closely to what they're saying, and then after we listen, to dismiss them from the room. They used to say whenever Ronald Reagan had a decision to make, he would invite his counselors into the room and then he would promptly open the door and dismiss them, close the door and make a decision. You have to do that in your mind because if you don't dismiss them from the room, and I'm not just talking about physically, well, thanks for coming now, get out of here. If you don't mentally, emotionally dismiss them from the room, then you will become competitive with the advice or the criticism, feeling like you have to argue with the person. I can't tell you how many times in the time of prayer trying to process this, and I'm saying, and then that, and partway through it, it occurs to me, I have never dismissed that person from the room. It's as though they're still sitting there barking at me. You have to dismiss them. Translate. You have to take the emotion out of it. You have to deal with the material that they gave you, not with the person. It doesn't matter whether you like them. If they're right, they're right. Deal with it. So I have to dismiss them. Once I do that, here's a series of questions that I can process with. The first one is, 
what are they saying and why are they saying that? I mean, what information are they drawing on? What experiences do they refer to? What are they afraid of when they come in and say, well, it's all this or you should do this or I hate it when you do that. If I can, I'm trying to pull it out of them. So if a person comes in and says, Steve, here's the sum of the matter. You're awful. You're just an awful person. Okay, great. Well, that doesn't really help me. You got, you got to give me more than that. So if I can pull it out of them specifically, what are they saying and what evidence, what fear, what concerns, what experience are they using to say that question number two? What might they see that I might have missed? So I'm in the car some years ago talking to my son. He's still in high school at this point, and we're driving down the interstate. And I'm talking about people in college church that have just written me kind, encouraging, or not notes. And I'm in the middle of a rant. I got to tell you, I, I, I can't usually preach well here, but man, in the car, dude, I can let it go. So I'm in the middle of this sermon in the car. And then they were saying, can you believe that? <laughs> this is what I mean. This is what I stand for. Everyone should know that by now. And in the middle of it, he says, well, Dad, of course you're not right. I said, you're grounded. He said, wait, he's 18. And of course, they're not right. He said, the truth is probably somewhere between the person you think you're sending off and the person they think they're hearing. It's somewhere in the middle. If what you're after is the truth, if you're after the truth, then the truth is probably somewhere between you. What you want are different vantage points on the truth. The only time that you don't need different vantage points on the truth is when you are the truth. You are the Son of God. And since you're not, you might want to find other people who have different vantages. So I said, get out and walk. This is the second question. Again, I can dismiss it if I want, but I can never do it if I don't ask. So what vantage do they have and what do they see or might they have seen that I might have missed? And then the third question is, how should this inform what I do going forward? How do I take what people are saying to me and weave it, some of it, not all of it, and weave it into what I am going to do going forward? Notice, I said, how should it inform, not determine? And I did not say, I'm going to sit here and wait for somebody's permission or somebody's affirmation. Dude, I'm going forward, and what they're telling me is valuable information. Now, how do I use that to go forward? Advice, like criticism, is to be tasted, not swallowed. After the service, the guy came up and he said, I have a good friend who's a wine taster. And he said, at the end of the day, he's tasted all these wines. 
And he asked him one time, how do you not get drunk? And the guy goes, well, I spit. You sip it, you wash it around in your mouth, and then you spit it out. Because if he swallowed everything he tasted all day, he would be intoxicated. So advice and criticism is exactly like that. You take it, you listen to it, you play with it just a little bit, and then you spit it out. The part you should hold on to, you'll probably still taste. (laughs) But move on. And then the last question is, um, what does the Lord say? What? What what does God say he will do for me if I do that? Sometimes the Lord will, he'll come back like strong. I've had the Lord come back to me before after I weighed all counsel and criticism and say to me like he did to Jeremiah, get up, brush yourself off, go out there and say what I told you to say. If you don't, I'll make you afraid. That's a rough translation, but it's close. And sometimes the Lord has just um, loved me in, in response. It, when, there's been times when I've received a lot of criticism and um, I will, it, it like weighs me down and um, the Lord will just say, here's my word for you, Steve. I love you. Which is another way of saying, they were right. Now I love you. <laughs> so I was in here one time and I was walking back and forth weighing what people had said and it was one of these times, I know this will shock you, where I'd made a lot of people mad. Not anybody was happy, it seemed. And so I was going back and forth and I went through the whole defense thing, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, they don't know. Uh. And it finally came to a point where I had to sit down, I had to own it, I had to taste it, I had to spit it out, and I had to say, man, they're right about so many things. I came to the altar, knelt down to pray, and as I stood up from the altar to walk away, the Bible's open. It's open to Acts chapter 9. I start reading in Acts chapter 9. There's a phrase that God said to Peter, I will not forget on that day. He said, never call unclean what I've called clean. Now go. The person that I'm playing to ultimately is God. Ultimately. People matter. They matter immensely. But when it comes to advice, they're vendors. If it's good advice, it's never theirs. They're marketing for God. So God is the voice I want to play to. So my question is, after I've listened to what everybody else said, what has the Lord said to me at the end of the day? 